This meeting is being recorded. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode two of Unscrewed here with uh, the one and only Carlin Borisinko and myself, Truman, from Return to Reason. Uh, we're here to try and work our way through what has got us into this situation where we seem to be screwed as a society and how can we kind of unscrew it. You know, if you watched our first episode, it was very much a just kind of talking and bouncing ideas off each other and just trying to think through stuff in real time. And um, Carlin and I literally had, we just got on the call like two minutes ago. We have not had a discussion about what we're going to talk about. I've got a few things on my mind. I'm sure she does too. Um, but that's what this is. Just trying to process this stuff together uh, and bring you guys along with us. Carlin, did I miss anything? Is there anything I should have said there? We're both really tired too. So if that was a half-assed yeah. intro, I apologize. No, I think that that sums it up nicely. I think that, uh, yes, we are all, we are both really tired. I, I have to say, Truman, I'm like really impressed with us for getting to episode two. We did it. I feel like, I feel like that was like yeah. a big hurdle for us to, like the first episode is easy. We get into that second one is uh, maybe a little bit more of a commitment. So we'll, we'll hopefully cross our fingers and get yep. to episode number three. Um, but no, I definitely have yeah. some ideas for, um, for what I want to talk about today. And um, just so, so one of the reasons I'm tired is I actually spent the weekend at a, a an art event that I got invited to because I spent too much money on art. And, um, and I have to say, okay. like, it, I was thinking about our podcast while I was at this art event. And it was like, and the reason I was thinking about it, it was because I was in the real world. I was in the real world around huh. normal people nice. who do not think about this stuff all the time. And it even felt a little yep. bit awkward to me at times, like, like, cause you know, you, you get into like small talk with people are like, Oh, what do you do? And what do you do? And I say, I complain on the internet about politics and you could just, you could see kind of like their body language was immediately like, like, Oh, let's, let's not even talk about that because it's going to bring down the entire mood of the event. So it was, it was at the same time, yep. you know, it was, it, and I think it actually made me, it gave me hope. I suppose that there are still normal people out there. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's so that's interesting because that's one of those things that so I was at um this last weekend, I was at a, a brew fest. Um so I, I guess it would have been so today is Sunday. So last Saturday, uh, I was at a brew fest and it was the same kind of thing. So I was at the farmers market the night before. And then I was at the brew fest that, that day and it's just normal people, man. There was probably, you know, I took a picture of it. I have all this stuff that I mean to post my locals, but then I'm always uploading stuff because it takes so long. I meant to post a picture of the line was probably, I don't know, had 500 people in it for like the regular mm -hmm. tickets. And there's probably already another 300 people in there for the early bird. And of course, no one's wearing masks. People were just eating, you know, hanging out, talking like normal. And it's one of those things that, um, I, there's a balance there, right? Because what you said, like about feeling that at that art thing, you know, people just living their lives and not concerned with all this crap, you know, um, there's this kind of encouraging, right? Um, and then there's other venues, or I guess, settings, uh, situations, where that same level of like, complacency or ignorance is something that just pisses us off, right? Because it's like, I want people to live their lives. I want people to do normal things. I was at the brew fest. You were at the art thing, right? So we want people to go about and live their normal lives. And this shouldn't be 24 seven for everyone. At the same time, 
if there if you took those same people and you know it was like hey what you know how do you think how do you feel about this how do you feel about like a vaccine passport or something like that and they have like no opinion or something like that um then it's like okay i want you to live your normal life but i also need you to be to at least be somewhat in the game like whenever it's required of you Mm -hmm. um so i don't know how to strike that balance you know in terms of you know i think you you brought this up man i want to this is a long time ago maybe six seven months ago talked about just feeling fatigue of trying to get people to care um and having to explain some of this stuff to people um in terms of like why they should should care and i definitely feel that um as well and so yeah it's a it's a weird balance, but I mean, dude, I was just at, so I was telling you, I was just at Walmart for four hours waiting on this oil change. And there was, uh, two other couples who just happened to be there. One of them had a flat tire. The other one had some other thing happen. They're both traveling. Neither of them were from where I'm from and my phone wasn't fully charged. So I ended up talking to them for quite a while. And one of the, so this older couple brought up, uh, somehow we were talking about, I think we were talking about my daughter and they said, oh, she sounds smart, you know, I, and something about schooling or she'll have to have good teachers. And I said, yeah, we're homeschooling our kid, man. No one's, no <laughs> one saying is going to put their kids in public school right now. And this older woman said, oh, are you guys, um, what's the critical race theory fight, you know, like for you guys up here? And I was talking to her about it. And then this other couple that was a younger couple um, traveling through from like, I want to say Arkansas or it was Alabama, I think. Um, and that they were also keyed in and were talking about it. And so like, as I was engaging with, with this lady, they were also chiming in. And so it was one of those things where it's like, you know, I think people are, are like in, in it whenever, or people are starting to like, we're starting to see more people who are in it where, where it matters, you know? Um, and so that is encouraging. So I, I want to see people that are normal people who are speaking up and, and fighting this stuff and also living their lives and saying, Hey, we're not scared of this Delta variant. They got that, that Delta variant um, at the same time. So I don't know. There's, that's just kind of me rambling, which is I mean, what this is going to be the whole time. By I, the way. Well, but, that's the, isn't that the whole point of this to begin with for us to kind of sure. shoot the shit and try to make something productive out of it. Um, yep. No, I mean, I actually think like, I mean, like, let's just reflect on that for a second. You were in Walmart and you had a conversation with like two or three different couples about critical race theory. Like, yep. can we just reflect yeah. on how amazing that is? First, it like is. A, a year ago, no one even knew who, what this was. It was like people like you and me going like, this is dangerous. Don't, don't like, this is not a good thing. Um, yep. And of course there were many people that came before us that we learned that from, right? So it wasn't, I'm not, I'm not trying to insinuate that it started with us at all. Um, but it's like it, it, the fact that it's making its way into pop culture and it, it, and into like I mean we're seeing like I you know I saw I, I, I some someone on Twitter sent me um, a video of a school board meeting in which the parents just absolutely revolted against all of this stuff and the superintendent um, was like up in front of the school board saying we're not teaching critical race theory this is about what the equity committee is doing mm -hmm. and the parents mm -hmm. saw right through it and they knew exactly wow. what was going on and there was just like this whole line of parents lined up to say you need to cut this crap out and calling them out we see right through it yeah and so, I mean, thank, thank God, thank God people are starting to see it because I mean, like, I, I really think, you know, I've been thinking a lot in the last couple of weeks about, 
I don't know another way to win this fight other than we have to wake people up that are frankly like moderate Democrats. Yeah. I, I don't think that this fight is going to be won just by preaching to the choir on the right. Right. We, ha- we have to wake. And, and the part of the reason I don't think it's going to be won by doing that is, frankly, that a lot of people on the right. And, and I, I don't want to set aside like the conversation in Walmart or the school board meetings or any of that. Sure. But a lot of people on the right just don't fight back in any meaningful way. Right. Like a conversation in Walmart is awesome. And it tells us that um, that like uh, like people are starting to figure out what this thing is. But that's not meaningful pushback where it matters. Right. That's sure. the, it's kind of like the first level of it. Right. We have to get people talking about it before we can get them to a school board meeting, before we can get them to write a letter or an email or stuff like that. So I don't want to diminish it. Um, but I just I, I routinely see and I'd be interested in your perspective on this. Maybe I'm being cynical. Maybe I'm being blackpilled. Maybe I'm just tired and cranky. Um, I don't see the right fighting back. The only people I see fighting back are like you and I, like like former lefties that totally. kind of I understand mean, how to do this, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've said for a while and that the, we understand this isn't like the just the run-of-the-mill culture war that it's been for the last couple of decades, that the left mm-hmm. is something different and people on the right don't see that. But what I would say is... Um, the the Venn diagram of naive and complacent moderate Democrats and naive and complacent um, moderate conservatives, I think is is really close to a circle. And it, it, what I mean by that is that they have the same problem. It, it's just a different in a different kind of way, but it can be boiled down to the same problem is that they just frankly don't understand the severity of what we're in. That's it. Mm-hmm. That the the moderate Democrats think that you know this is just the excess of a few people that has no systemic power and you know they'll be fine and this will all blow over um and you know i think probably where they might deviate from the moderate conservative some is that for them there is much more of a social pressure to you know like one of the things i said the other day is we we have we're dealing with this shitty government right now because a bunch of democrats wanted to feel good about themselves Hmm. that's it Um, and so I think that's, that's one of the parts of it, but you get people who, uh, well, just like what we talked about last time about how there are some people who are on the left who understand some of this, but they don't quite get it in its entirety. I think I use Jesse single as, as an example, and there are others like him, Claire Lehman sometimes would fall into that category. Um, and so these are people that have some utility that do some good things, but, don't take it the necessary steps to be substantive in terms of pushing back. Cause they don't get it. They don't understand the monster. And then there's this thing on the right. I, I was waiting to tell you about this um, for this episode. So it's so funny. A buddy of mine from high school uh, texted me the other day and it was, it, it was pretty close to 4th of July. So I guess this would have been mm-hmm. like about two weeks ago. And there's a friend of ours who is, is pretty far to the left, a, a person who also used to be a very good friend of mine until I stopped being like a Bernie bro socialist, uh, you know, kind of guy. Um, but he posted this really satirical thing, I guess, on Facebook about, you know, how freedom isn't free. And I'm just thinking about how, you know, freedom is not free and the cost of freedom. And he was just being a smart ass. And my buddy screenshot it to me because I'm not on Facebook. And he said, is he joking? And I said, well, yeah, it's pretty obvious he's making fun of uh, making fun of, you know, conservatives who would say this. Mm-hmm. And so then me and my buddy just start talking, you know, this is a friend from high school who's pretty hardcore conservative, lives in, you know, a very rural area, has for his whole life. 
And I said something like, um, you know, I don't blame him and him being our friend who was making fun of the, the conservatives. I said, I don't waste your time engaging with that. You know, it's the people that are like indoctrinating, you know, people like him and into this kind of stuff that I'm much more concerned about. And, and I said something about how this stuff is, is dangerous. I don't know somehow. And he said, Oh, it's not dangerous. It's just, they're just bored. And I'm like, no, no. What do you, and I, I said something to the effect of the fact that you don't think this is dangerous and you think this is just people that are bored is half of the problem, dude. I said, this isn't a personal statement about you. Um, but you know, conservatives have been conditioned to, to think that everything the left does is communism or socialism. And so whenever that something actually does come around that does kind of embody that, you know, that the pundits on the right have cried wolf for so long, you know, that all the conservatives have learned they have to do to fight back against the left is post memes on Facebook about Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama and maybe wow. vote every two to four years. <clears throat> and and he and he, he got kind of offended at that. And he's like, well, he's like, well, this is just he talked about the small town he lives in. He's like. Well, where I live, this stuff isn't a problem. Like he's like, they're they're gonna find out that if they put push us too far, they're gonna awaken the sleeping giant. But oh, where okay. I live, right? Where I live, uh, you know, it's about the FFA and all this other stuff, and and that this just this stuff isn't here. And I said, I'm sorry, man, but and I, and I went through all of these lists. I'm like, if you have the internet, it's there. If you know your school is getting funding from the federal government, it's here. Uh, if you have these TV stations, it's here. Um, and this idea, I think Kevin uh, has brought this up before, where it's like, you know, these conservatives who think that they can just sit on their porch, you know, with their guns and that that's the extent that they have to provide any pushback. Like they don't have to actually get in the game. Um, it's the same thing as with the left. They don't understand both of these, the, the moderate left and the traditional conservatives on the right, the Fox News conservatives are the same in that they both do not understand that we have crossed a threshold into a unique conflict. That mm -hmm. the left, those people we're talking about, you're saying we need to wake up, which I agree. Um, they do not understand that the left has morphed into something more dangerous, that their party, that their side has become captured at an institutional level by something that is much more sinister than they realize. At the same time, these conservatives on the right who do not engage firsthand with the left, usually it's filtered through Fox News or memes on Facebook or whatever, they also don't realize that the left has become something different. They think of the left, they still think it's like a bunch of snowflake vegan soy boys who can't, you know, open, can't, don't know how to use a can opener. And they don't real, and so they don't take it seriously. Um, and I mean, there is that part of where. The, you know, the left thinks that conservatives are immoral. And so that gives them license to treat them a certain way if they think they're evil. But the right thinks that all of these people on the left are stupid. And I think that that causes them to underestimate them in a lot of ways as well. And so my point is, is that I think the problem is the same, is that on either side of it, you have to wake them up that the, the left has changed at an institutional level and needs to be taken seriously in a way that they are not currently taking it seriously. So I agree with you that there's those on the left, but I think that there is a probably a similar, if not the same size demographic on the right that with, with the same message could also get in the game as well.
Oh, I, I'll, I'm even going to go one step beyond this. I, I agree with everything you just said. I also want to point out specifically that there's also a faction among the people who consider themselves anti-woke or the mm. ones that are fighting back against this that are focused on completely ridiculous things, like completely absurdly ridiculous things that have no relevance in anything at all. And I mean, frankly, I think, you know, you know like Claire Lehman, I think is, is one of those people. I would say like David French is one of those people. I would oh, say God, like David French, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's like, is and, and so they exist on both sides. I usually call them the intellectuals who are intellectualizing about the problem, where all they do is spend all day sitting around talking about the problem and then patting themselves on the back for being so good about talking about the problem. Frankly, I would put John McWhorter and Glenn Lowry in this position at this point because they're they. I, I just feel like they're so academic at this point that they've completely lost touch with the real world. And um, I don't think that these people are being any help in fighting back either. I mean, we can look at the battle that Chris. Rufo has been fighting for the last couple of weeks um, as a, the primary person out there where all of a sudden all of these people who are like anti-woke are coming out and saying we don't need to ban critical race theory we can intellectualize our way out of it's this problem speech. and it's a free speech issue it's like which is, of course is ridiculous and has been disproven on on numerous occasions and has already been ruled on by the supreme court and they are completely wrong and it's just like you know it, it, that's that to me has been one of the most disheartening like black pill moments of the last couple of weeks is seeing all these people just come out of the woodwork and i'll tell you what too fire when New Hampshire was trying to um, to pass that law banning critical race theory, FIRE actually came out in opposition to the law as it was written in New Hampshire, even though the law literally said it, it had a section called general provisions that said, um, you can teach every single concept in this bill, you just have to teach it as objective and not as like, as not as like truth. You have, you have to teach it as something that like some people believe this, other people don't believe this. You can't teach it as like objective fact. Fire opposed this? Fire opposed it. I was so pissed. And this was actually wow. one of the reasons that the bill became really difficult to, to get passed in the form that it was in because, you know, Chris Sununu was already working against it to begin with. And then fire came out and opposed the bill on free <clears throat> speech grounds and the Democrats latched onto that. And it was like, has wow. anyone even read the bill? Like, and, and I guess what the point I'm trying to make is, is less about, you know, you, you know, I could bitch complain about New Hampshire all day, every day, but like the point I guess I'm trying to make is that we have a group of people that believe that they are the ones leading the fight against the woke that have absolutely no real world experience whatsoever that are not talking mm. that are not having the conversations that you had at walmart that are not having the conversations i'm having with just like average everyday people on the street when i go to like town media like republican town meetings or things like that just to like talk to people to make sure they understand what's going on they're not having those conversations they're only talking with each other and so any solution that they that they come up with is going to be inherently inapplicable <clears throat> in the real world because they haven't tested it in a real world setting. Yeah, that's really interesting about fire. Cause I mean, we talked about John Haidt last time and, you know, John Haidt is still someone that I respect tremendously. I think moral foundation theory is probably yeah. one of the most important books written in the last 20 years. Um, but that he would oppose that. And Greg Lukianoff, you know, I would be interested to see if they issued specific statements about it. Um, because I would be curious what the rationale was. I, there's no way that they would persuade me that it was a, a, the right decision, but at least I could maybe see if they were making it in good faith, which I would assume they would be, but it, then it'd be based on ignorance. You know, thinking about, so you brought up David French. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I listened to whenever you're uh, listening to him debate. Uh, it was Chris Rufo, right? On uh, Barry Weiss's. Yep. Um, Barry Weiss's podcast. Um, I, I love Barry. I think she's great. She's one who I think still doesn't quite get it, but I think she gets it more than most and enough for it to matter. Um, and so, but whenever there was that one kind of throwaway line that went under the radar that David French said that I think it, it's, it explained the whole disconnect to me where he, he said that we have two different things two different competing ideologies and he was referring to critical race theory and like anything else. And he said, and they're both attempting to explain history and look at these things, you know, and make a good and give a good faith under explanation for these things. And I was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Like David French just said that critical race theory is a good faith attempt to do this. And it's just not. And so that just shows the, the underlying ignorance and so much of this goes, you know, for me is that like, I just keep gravitating to two different things, um, th the colleges and the, the news media and the, just the total control of the news media that, that this kind of leftist, you know, talking points, you know, that Eric Weinstein would call the gin, the gated institutional narrative, what they have control of, um, and, and or he also, so the gated institutional narrative is what's approved, but he calls like the media and tech and everything, the disc, it's the distributed information uh, suppression complex. And so it's like, they suppress and distribute what they want to do to support whatever the institutional narrative is. And I really think that someone like John Haidt or Dave French um, or Greg Lukianoff or any of them, I think that probably part of the problem is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's probably similar to what we talked about last time with the media, where these are people who probably do not have not landed on all of its bankrupt. Yeah, they probably still think NPR is a credible news source, right? Like they're probably going, okay, look, I know CNN is lost. I know that, you know, MSNBC is lost. But I mean, the New York Times still has some good stuff and NPR is still largely independent, you know, and as long as you have that, as long as you have that, you are going to be living in a, a very different reality than the rest of us. And that's going to shape because everyone, even the experts, even the people that we look at and go like, you're smart, you're someone I respect. Like I, you know, am kind of looking to you for guidance on certain things like they have, they're just people too. And they, you know, they can't pull all of, you know, synthesize all of truth and all of current events just out of their ass. They have things they're going to look at also. And so I think as long as th that there are people like that who are still, will listen to a podcast on NPR about why critical race theory is just a lens or something like that. And they'll bring on, you know, some teacher of gender studies or, or, or CRT at Berkeley to talk about it, then they're going to have bad information about this thing. And, and so it seems to me like that just the, if you think about like a black hole, just sucking everything in and just the power is so great. It feels like the totality of our media to shape reality and the, and higher ed to crank out activists that, that kind of incentivize that stuff is so powerful to me. You know, the, just two examples of that really fast and I'll kick it to you. Um, one of them, we saw this with the Cuba thing, uh, whenever we had these, these protests in Cuba 
and that are still going on. And what, how does, how does it trend on Twitter? Um, Cuba is protesting over lack of COVID vaccines and other things. And it's like, no, they're starving to death. What are you talking about? Like you, that is the fake news right there. And then just today. So I'm looking at about these protests going on in France right now about like, so Emmanuel Macron, do you know what's going on in France? No, fill me in. With their vaccine stuff. So Emmanuel Macron uh, gave a speech and he said, all healthcare workers are required to have the vaccine by a certain date in September, even if they've already had COVID um, or they will not be, they will not be paid because France has a nationalized healthcare. So they will not be paid and they will be fined and can face jail time if they don't have the vaccine. Oh. They're also going to have to have, he's, they're talking about COVID vax passports to get into bars and all this other stuff. And so there's these massive protests going on in France right now. If you try to look up what's going on in France and, and just Google it, France COVID vaccine passport protests, you'll find one decent article about it from the Hill. All the rest of them will be will be framed as because I was literally just doing this. All of them will be framed as uh, anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorists protest um, vaccines in France. Okay, you, BBC BBC does not have one story on what's going on in France right now. BBC International, I checked I checked UK and BBC International, not one story about the massive protests in the streets of France right now against Emmanuel Macron. So the point is, is and same, they're shaping how we think about Cuba. They're shaping about what's going on with France. They're shaping all these stories about the Delta variant, right? All of this stuff is being constantly just shut. Like there is one narrative. And, and once one does it, like people think that there has to be some conspiracy theory. Like were they all these clandestine meetings on Thursday nights and they all get pizza and wings and decide how they're going to destroy, the, destroy America. No, it's just you kind of understand what, you have to do whenever you're in these situations. One person breaks a story. That's the story. That's what we're doing. You see this all the time. Whenever, like I saw this with the inflation stories last week, one, one outlet releases a story on inflation. NPR did it. They framed it as uh, economic growth, um, which is fucking crazy. But anyway, and then I see in rapid succession, CNN, NBC, MSNBC, New York, all of these do, doing stories on inflation, kind of spinning it. And the point is, is we're going to get ahead of it. We're not going to say this is Biden's fault or the Biden administration. One, actually, NBC, I think it was NBC or Politico, did, did run a story saying that, uh, that this is probably the Biden administration's policy's fault. One, so in all fairness. Um, but that's it. And so my point is, is that, you know, if we're going to go back, go back, go back, go back, go back um, in terms of waking people up, I think anyone that does not have just a universal distrust of all, literally all media outlets, universal distrust. OK, so yes. left or right, I don't care and doesn't look at all of them skeptically and say, OK, I'm going to try and figure out what the what's how do I sort the facts from the from the spin, from the editorializing. Anyone that can't do that is going to be misinformed in, in, a, in a leftward direction without realizing it. Um, and so that to me is the thing, like why did fire come out against that bill in New Hampshire? Because they probably had a fundamental misunderstanding of what CRT was and a fundamental misunderstanding of what that bill is trying to accomplish. Where did they get that misunderstanding from? Probably from the, the whatever's NPR, all things considered piece there. And of course I'm just speculating there, but if it wasn't that, it was something like that is my point. It probably yeah. wasn't from them doing it, like listening to James Lindsay for 10 hours, right? Like that, they didn't do that. 
Right. No, I, I completely agree with everything that you just said. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all that the BBC didn't do a story about France, because I have a friend in the UK right now that is like basically sending me stuff all the time about how he can't even live a normal life anymore because he doesn't want to get the vaccine and they need passports to do everything. And yes, he can't even he desperately wants to get back over here because he was doing a lot of work over here before the pandemic. He can't even get over here because people from the UK cannot come directly to the United States. He would have to quarantine for 14 days and Mexico and then try his luck at the southern border and getting across to the states and then Bizarre. you know it's 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 the craziest thing in the world but it's like no I completely agree that like like you know where people have to start with with uh and, and you know I think I think it's important to uh, specify for people who might be listening to this um that I think that when and correct me if I'm wrong but like when we say critical race theory we're kind of using that as a general moniker not just for critical race theory like proper but for like all of the things that are going on in our society am I right in saying that I kind of use it as a general term for like everything woke at this point because I think it's when I say understand CRT I am specifically talking about CRT okay um now what if I was going to talk about the general stuff like I'm yet, I need to do a full thing just on far left orthodoxy and exactly what it is. Um, because to me, even just uh, talking to, I guess by the time this airs, it'll already happen. So we're actually, uh, Kevin and I talked to Benjamin Boyce yesterday, which was pretty cool. Oh, cool. Um, and, and he was like, and even Benjamin Boyce said, he's like, I just call this wokeness, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, and I'm like, well, I think I have a term for it, but you know, I mean, either way, when I say CRT, I am specifically talking about the conversations that are specifically about CRT. Um, but if you're just going to say this stuff in general, the racial stuff, I mean, whenever, so let me ask well, you, whenever you say just a, an umbrella term, are you just talking about the specific racial stuff? Like all of the specific racial I, equity kinds of things? I am specifically talking about how everything that is going on with trying to move our society left from critical race theory being integrated into schools and frankly into every other area in our society, government and business and all this stuff. Um, uh, I'm specifically talking about the fact that all of this is designed to destabilize our society. Mm. That that to me is the, the pinnacle of like, when you understand yep. what wokeness is, you understand that every single thing that is being done, whether it is specifically critical race theory or not specifically, but maybe tangentially related to critical race theory, every single thing is about destabilizing our society. And once you look at it from that perspective, then you're able to better interpret what is going on. I think the problem with like the David Frenches um, and, you know, the fire guys and all of this stuff, and, and it's not, and I think that I just want to make sure I put a really fine point on this. Like, it's not that they aren't incredibly smart people. They're very smart people. They have they have all in their own way made valuable contributions, right? But they are missing the fundamental piece that all of this mm. is designed to destabilize our society. And so if we start with that, and I absolutely agree with you that the media is the most critical role in all of this because and and people who do not yet understand that the media on both sides is lying to you. It doesn't matter left, right, center. It doesn't matter. They are lying to you. They are telling you a story that is not the full the full understanding of the experience. And that could be either they're doing it with malice, they're intentionally crafting a narrative and then, then cherry picking things that support that narrative, or they're doing it out of ignorance or frankly, laziness a yep. lot of the time too. Um, but whatever the reason is, it doesn't really matter. Like if you trust any media, 
to tell you a full and complete and accurate story, then you you have not yet grasped that the purpose of all of this is to destabilize our society. Yeah, I think what I'm really glad that you you added that caveat some because if you didn't, I was gonna say that exact thing that you just said, which is <laughs> that people, whenever you hear you're being lied to, they they are expecting a boogeyman. It sounds crazy. And they're expecting it to be some kind of malicious, you know, you know, hand-wringing uh, Bond villain. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it doesn't have to be malicious for them to tell you half-truths or to tell you things that are just only convenient to what their perspective is, you know? It's kind of like if, um, if I had a product or if I was selling something mm-hmm. and I was trying to sell it to you and I wanted you to think really positively about it, like... I would probably talk up the good parts and I probably wouldn't bring up the ba- the negatives. You know, I would try to, I would want to highlight the good things and I would want to diminish the bad things. And so it's, that's not necessarily because I hate you, but it's because I have a preference that I'm trying to push on you. And so like, that's what these news outlets are doing is that they have an agenda and it's just, it, it just is, you know, it's, you have to think about it like that. You know, I think, one thing that I've heard Michael Malice say that I think is really good is, is he said, it'll be, this will all be a success whenever every single person thinks of journalists the same way they think about uh, tobacco executives. Um, is it a journalist or politics? I think it's journalists. Think of as tobacco executives, um, where it's like, they do not have your best interest in mind. They're going to say what they need to say. Um, and they're going to lie, but it's just kind of part of the gig because this is the business they're in, um, and and it is what it is. And so I think that we have to get to that place where it's like it's not personal, right? Where people need to understand it's not personal. Um, and and yeah, like the that's I think the part that's missing. Whenever I talk to um, Deb Philman about just the experience that I had in education and just all the crap from the district. You know, part of the story I told was my my friend who's the behavioral psychologist, and I wanted to get his story right because his he experienced way more than I did. And one of the first things he said is that people, whenever they hear about illegal things or bad things going on in education, they're they're they want a boogeyman. They're expecting a boogeyman. Right. You know, they're expecting like the trunch bowl from Matilda or something, and they just and they don't think about how just run of the mill incompetence and cowardice can have catastrophically if it's if it's incompetence and cowardice at a systemic level that is everywhere that is going to have way more negative uh consequences than even just one person acting maliciously on purpose Mm -hmm. um and so people have to change their paradigms about how they how they think about these things i had one other thought that based on what you said and and i lost it so maybe i'll think of it again hopefully it'll come back but i know i think you you brought up a really important point there and and frankly like i want to offer that i do think that there are some people who are i mean probably at the very top of this little game that are absolutely acting with malice i just think they are an incredibly small percentage Mm -hmm. of the overall situation i don't think i and i think you know this is this is something that that comes into play a lot in schools i think where um you know especially now that a lot of parents are learning about critical race theory and learning what to watch out for and things like that they've somehow convinced themselves that teachers are going into classrooms and telling students white people are awful and that if you are white you are a horrible person and Although I can point to very select instances of something very similar to that happening, it is not the norm. 
in right. how this happens. It's like it, it, it's it's dished out in these small little nuggets over Howard's time. Yeah, it's Howard's like, you know, with the books that they're reading or the, the lesson about equity or, you know, how they're um, how they're changing, um, how they're changing what Martin Luther King did and framing it differently or things like that. It's these small little things that are going on. And one of the things that I really tried to emphasize to the lawmakers in New Hampshire was that so one of the things that got removed from the bill in New Hampshire was a provision that you could not teach that America was a fundamentally racist country. They removed it from the bill entirely. And I was like, that's the ball game. When it comes yeah. to schools, every, every single thing that they are teaching wow. that impacts that, that we, we might consider critical race theory, it comes from that provision. And so if you allow them to teach that, you are allowing them to teach everything that they need to teach in order to indoctrinate your children. You're allowing them to teach 1619. Yeah. You're allowing them to teach, you know, that you're allowing them to teach all of the negative things in exactly the way that they were doing it before. Now, the good news is, and this is a little ironic, I want to offer like a, just like a nugget of like sunshine in this. The fact that, so, <laughs> okay. so there, there, there are, there's a list of, so have you, you, you've heard about this like Zen, um, like education pledge that the teachers are taking. This, yep. Yeah. So basically yep. it's, it, it's like, it's like all these teachers are bravely and stunningly and coming out and signing this pledge saying that they're going <laughs> to teach critical race theory, no matter what the law says. And so a whole bunch of teachers yeah. in New Hampshire came out. Even though out we're and, not teaching critical race theory. Yeah. We're not teaching critical <laughs> race theory, but they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> And so a whole bunch of teachers in New Hampshire signed this pledge and I'm looking at it going, okay, here's what's going on. None of them read the bill in the first place. So they didn't know what was in it. None of them read the updated version of the bill that, that actually took out the provisions that would have prevented them from teaching critical race theory. So they have, they literally have no idea that they are now allowed to teach everything that they were probably teaching before, that literally nothing has changed with the passage of this bill, but they have no idea because they haven't read the bill and they have, and they refuse to listen to people like me who are saying, here's exactly what's in the bill and how this is going to be applied. They're never going to listen to me. And so it's like, they're allowed to do absolutely everything that they were allowed to do before. And they have no idea because they've listened to the lies of the media and of the democratic party to tell them that these things are now illegal and i just think that's insanely hilarious it's like it's like <laughs> literally nothing has changed for you and all you had to yep. do was listen to your political opponent to tell you that nothing has changed and you still couldn't wrap your head around it <laughs> of course not so i remembered what i was going to say and it actually goes along with what you just said excellent so you're talking about people trying to destabilize society right yeah and how that's that's the goal you know I've, i was listening to um Bridget Fetisi was talking to her cousin Maggie during like one of these uh, un unfiltered like check-ins mm -hmm. that they do. And uh, it was like after she had this kind of interesting experience on the 4th of July where she was wearing like American flag pants and some lady was like, are you a Republican? You know? And anyway, she was talking about that and she brought up about how um, she quoted someone else who said that a lot of these, these activists, the people that are trying to destroy society right now are actually apolitical. Like they don't care. They're not for the left or for the right. They're for the destruction of everything. Um, and so any, any time that a person on the left thinks they're on their side, um, it, they're not, they're just trying to destabilize things. And, you know, it's funny. So you're talking about like uh, these people that are basically uh, it's not cosplaying. I think that term gets used, 
a little too much, but whenever they're take, t- making these pledges um, and it's not even engaged in reality, mm. you know, I think that kind of goes to the power of, of the media again, to where it's like, they're having a, an argument with nobody, right? Like this is an argument with nobody. If, if they're thinking that, that this is what's the, that they have to take this pledge because this is under threat. We see this with climate. We see this with uh, uh, bans on abortion um, or, or bans on, or the expansions of abortion. We see this stuff on the left and on the right where they get these little snippets of information from whatever their source is that, that tells them how to think or how to feel about this stuff. And they run with it without anything else. And often they're, they're fighting windmills, you know, and, what ends up happening that I think is a big problem there is that the people churning this information out, like a Brian Stelter, there's someone who I think is a genuine, a, ba- a bad actor. I would, I would put bad actors like in the category of bad actors, the people that are completely ambivalent to the harm they're doing. And wait, that's wait, like wait, the wait. entire, the entire CNN anchor. Staff. I want to, I want to push back on that. I know I'm, I might be derailing from the point you want to make and I apologize, but like, I don't know if I can consider Brian Stelter a bad actor I don't know if I, I agree with your definition of bad actor because I think being stupid is different than having malice, and I think Brian I Stelter stu- is stupid. an idiot. But but can you can idiot. but can you be a bad actor if you like like if you are just like I think so. Brian what I said was so. What I said was uh, I, I would put in bad actors people that are ambivalent or completely disregard the harm they're doing. So here would be two oh, two scenarios. So it's like they're playing it like a show. Yeah, but and they don't care. So like if a person gets drunk and goes and drives a car and drives into a crowd and kills people because they were drunk and, and on a bunch of drugs and stuff, like I would put that in the category of a bad actor. It's like you didn't do that on purpose, but you were reckless enough and had enough of a disregard for the consequences of your actions that the outcomes were the same as if you drove into that crowd on purpose. Um, and so that's what I mean by that is mm. that these are people that are just – lobbing fireballs into the social discourse and just and just shredding the social fabric and just do not care about i mean this is one of the things we talked about uh, i I think it's around new year's or a little like at the beginning of january where it's like if you're actively trying to get me to hate other people you know for no other reason than to like make it where we don't work together and so that you're we as long as we're divided divided we're not looking at you Mm -hmm. um that's a that's a bad actor. Again, it, it, if you have no regard for for your actions, you know, if you don't think, yeah, this this is actually harmful, I would put him in that category for sure. I mean, because um, I think there's a negligence there. Is my point? Like, so so that's what I mean by that. So would um, you put would you put the intellectuals who are intellectualizing in that category as well? I I would need specific examples. I mean, the what I'm talking about specifically is like. If, if you're running stories talking about how dangerous uh, or a threat to democracy or harmful conservatives are or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, CNN just did a story uh, today that was uh, half of Americans. This is what's so crazy. This is these people's bread and butter is um, is hypocrisy, right? Mm-hmm. It's double standards. Um, but it was. Half of Americans are skeptical about or don't plan on getting the vaccine. So all of us that don't plan on getting it. So that'd be someone like me mm-hmm. who's like, hey, I think if you're 80, you should probably get it. I'm not going to because I've already had it. So like they lump people like that in there. 
um, and said are skeptical or won't get a vaccine, which they then reframe as being anti-vax or a conspiracy theorist. Um, and then they and they said or are skeptical about the legitimacy of the 2020 election results. Oh, my God. And it was about how, like, there's a big overlap between these two groups. And it said that these people are a dangerous threat to society, that they are dangerous. You know, whether you doubt the the legitimacy of vaccines or of Joe Biden's presidency, they're not just wrong, but they're dangerous. And I'm like, these are the same. It's like and it's, they talked about how they don't trust science, how these people don't believe in science. And they don't believe in elections. And it's like the same people that thought that Russia is what got Donald Trump elected for for two years and said, you know, not my president and that the 2016 election wasn't legitimate because of Russia and that the virus couldn't have possibly come from a lab leak, you know, are now saying that that these other people are the ones who are undermining elections or are a dangerous threat to society. So uh, that's that's an aside, but that's just an example of what I'm talking about there. Like that kind of rhetoric is so intentionally inflammatory. And like has the potential to cause massive amounts of harm to the social fabric um, to just divide us. And they just shove that stuff down our throat 24 seven. I mean, the, the right news outlets do it too, where they talk about, you know, dunking on the libtards and like where it's, and how anyone that might support some of these uh, progressive bills, even if they're ones that I don't support must be a communist or something. And it's like, maybe they're just misinformed, you know? So anyway, uh, but that's that's my point. Is that I, I, those are that's specifically what I'm talking about? Is the people who who, in order to get ratings, in order to you know keep the temperature high and keep people in fear, are just pissing people off and getting them to hate each other by using that kind of language. Like, hey, if someone doesn't want to get the vaccine, they're a dangerous threat to you and to your life. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Are you serious? Like, why would you why would you put that out there? Um, but, but those are the people and they are destabilizing society. And the thing that I was thinking about is like, I think that those folks that like, this is a thing that they think they can control. Like they're making the same mistake as honestly, like, I think the people in the media are making the same mistake as the complacent people on the left and the ignorant complacent people on the right, where it's like, they think this is all under control. They think that this is fine that it's like that they understand exactly the nature of what they're dealing with. And they have no idea. They do not understand the nature of what they're dealing with. I think just like we talked about last time, I don't think Nancy Pelosi actually supports this stuff. Right. I don't think so. I don't think Rachel Maddow does. I really don't. I think think Rachel Maddow does. She might, but I don't think she does to the degree that she probably seems like she does. I think Don Lemon probably does. Brian Stelter definitely doesn't. You know, and so it's like, I think Joy Reid does, you know, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like the majority of them, like Chris Saliza, like I, I don't, uh, from CNN, I don't think he does, you know, they're just saying what they have to say, Terry Gross at NPR, like, no, they, you know, they're just old school Democrats that think that they know what they're dealing with when they really don't. Um, and so, but the point is, is that it is destabilizing society. I think that you're exactly right there when you were saying that this is the goal is to destabilize society, is to destroy institutions, to indoctrinate young people. The chapter that Kevin and I are on for Road to Serfdom right now um, ends talking about the necessity of indoctrinating young people to get them all on yep. board with, with whatever their stupid-ass plan is. Um, and that's the goal of a lot of the CRT stuff and this Howard Zinn stuff is that like, if you get people to hate, your, hate their country and not have any pride in their country and have no perspective about history – um, then it's going to be really easy to get them to undermine. It's like, yeah, why not throw the Constitution out? 
Well, and guess what? Guess what now too? I mean, listen, we, we, ha- we are now in a reality where back when I was in college, people studied abroad. Now I never got mm. to study abroad because my parents were like, if we're paying for you to go to college, your ass is going to sit at college and you know, you can travel later in life and like whatever, but a lot, but a lot of people studied abroad in college. So they got to get outside. The I studied country. a lot of abroad in college. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Um, but like, no, but like a, a lot of people study abroad in college. And so they go and they experience other cultures and they see that things are different outside of the United States. And maybe they're in some place like uber nice. Like, I don't know, like a, a lot of my friends went to Sydney, Australia, but maybe, maybe they go somewhere else. And I think that that just, even that mere act of getting outside the country and living outside the country probably was one of the things that gave people perspective about, about what this country in relation to the rest of the world, right? Guess what? We don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. That's that is completely gone. Not only like we like in a couple of years. I mean, imagine this because because I I I I don't know that. I mean, this is actually an interesting question. I didn't even actually think of this until we were just talking this out. But I wonder if there are actually any colleges doing study abroad program right now. And will we get to a place in just a couple of years' time? if all of this continues in the direction that it's going in, that we will literally have a a, a full, uh, like four years of college students who have never left the United States because of COVID and have absolutely no perspective of what the outside world is like in relation to the United States and vice versa. That's scary. Like that is breeding ground for indoctrinating people to hate their own country. If they have no perspective about what it's like here compared to other places. I would say it depends on where they go. Well, yeah. To be honest, because if they go to like, I mean, here's the problem is that what is going on in Europe, what, um, what they've done in Canada, what they've done in Australia, what they've done in a lot of parts of Europe, what they've done in New Zealand is in terms of restricting people's freedoms like carte blanche Mm -hmm. uh, because of COVID. Those are the exact policies the Democrats would like cream over being able to do uh, that they want to be able to do. And so I would say there is a a chance that if you send them to the the wrong country that they're going to come back even more radicalized. I mean, this is one of the things that Hayek wrote about. This is so fascinating in um, the early thirties was that students in the UK were going and studying in Germany and they would come back um, to, or to the UK or they'd come back to the United States and the quote. uh, So uh, this, this is almost verbatim. It was, they would come back unsure of whether or not they were Nazis or whether they were communists only the only thing they were certain of was that they hated their own country. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this is before World War II. So, uh, so my point is, is that I would say if they're going to places like Rio de Janeiro, or if they're going to, to Mexico, or they're going to China, or Malaysia, or any of the or India, um, a lot of those places, then yeah, I would say that's probably then what you're saying is exactly right. Yeah, like whenever I was in China, you know, we were, we were in a, a nice uh, city. We're really close to a university where we're staying, but there were still people like burning garbage in the alleyways. Mm-hmm. We went a couple hours outside of town and we're at, um, we went up to this mountain that we climbed and there's streams running down on either side of these ditches. Mm-hmm. And it's like sewage water that people are like washing their clothes in and it's sewage water. 
you know? And so it doesn't take a whole lot of that to make you go, holy hell, I've got it. Right. I've got it pr- pretty, I'm pretty fortunate where I'm at. But the other aspect is, so I would say, let me kick it back to you. Let's say no kid studies abroad for the next five years, mm-hmm. but they're taught actual history mm. or they're, or they're taught about like any of them are, are uh, exposed to like Yanmi Park story in North Korea mm-hmm. or what things are actually like, uh, you know, or the reality of human trafficking or in India where they don't have plumbing in a lot of places. And so they're all, you know, crapping on railroad tracks and they all have hookworms um, in certain areas. You know, I think that, it, or if they're taught like exactly what like the Great Depression was like, or exactly what the United States was like in the 1800s, eight, you know, early 1900s, or they're taught about communism, like real, like they're taught about the killing fields, they're taught about the Ukrainian genocide. Um, I would say, you know, that would probably be have, I honestly probably a, a stronger effect on helping them have some kind of appreciation. So I, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I I think they could get that through another, through another way. No, I I completely agree. Like I said, I've barely been anywhere in the world and I have some understanding of like, of like what is going on. Um, But I also do, I I mean, I do think that there is something to be said about travel. And I think maybe it's not just study abroad, but you know, like is the average college student going to go to someplace like India right now? No. Are they going to go to China? They're definitely not going to China. (laughs) They're, they're like, I mean, even yeah. of, of their own volition. And so I do think there is something about just being exposed and seeing it for yourself that does mm. kind of like it clicks something in a way that like reading it in a history book can't. But I mean, point well taken. I think if people were actually taught actual history, this would be much less of a conversation um, because I think there are other ways you can learn about these concepts. But the problem is they're not being taught history and they're not going to be taught history anytime <clears throat> soon unless they're being homeschooled or have a really like you know industrious history teacher that probably wasn't trained as a teacher anytime in the last 30 years yeah so here's a question i have for you Hmm. that i just thought of um actually i have like two questions okay because i'm thinking a lot about information trajectories and like let's do do you want to do short-term or long-term? Because both of them are, there's similar kind of questions, but with very different topics. One of them has to do with the next year. The other one has to do with like 10 years from now. Let's do short-term first. So short-term, what do you think the success rate, because I, it feels like the summer, the way I was thinking about COVID stuff with summer was that it was going to be hot. People wouldn't want to wear their masks. Mm-hmm. It'd be easier for them to not want to. They're going to be outside. And that a certain percentage of the population will be a lot more resistant to going back to wearing them in the fall, despite, Mm -hmm. you know, people's efforts to try and get them to do that. Um, But you're seeing this in the news right now. I mean, like uh, what I have like on my seat, I I always keep like the, I still say that I think one of the best ways to kind of read what's going on is just download these news apps and get, and get the headlines. Um, But some of the ones on, on CNN right now are about here's it's about vaccination um, and how cases are rising in every state and how there is uh, America is this country that's divided between the vaccinated and unvaccinated and how we have a pandemic of the unvaccinated right now <laughs> and how the unvaccinated are a real threat. And I'm seeing this on NBC. I'm seeing it on NPR. I'm seeing it on CNN. Um, and it seems like they're really trying. You're seeing, um, gosh, what's the the uh, the physician 
that CNN has on all the time. I can't remember her name, but uh, she is the one who said we have to make life hard on those who are not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, they're the ones dragging us down and, and we, we need to get them on board. She was also, if I remember right, the one a couple months ago who said that the t- is time is ticking, you know, in order for us to tie vaccines to like government aid to these right. states. So they have to really start, they have to mandate this stuff. Um, and so my question is, and a lot of this is going to, so much of life kind of revolves around like the school schedule mm-hmm. um, because it's kids or college students are back in classes and, and the kids are back in, you know, K through 12. And that's just impacts a huge portion of the population. Teachers are back working. And so my question to you, you know, and I don't really know how to put a fine point on this, but hopefully you'll kind of understand the gist of what I'm saying is we're seeing lots of these colleges that are making it mandatory for students to have the vaccine in yeah. order to come back uh, to school. And same with professors. And we're also seeing where there are some places that are saying, uh, like Anthony Fauci said that students, this was like a, last week, said that a kid that's uh, unvaccinated or unable to get vaccinated two years or older still needs to be wearing masks. Um, and so it's like, how do you see the COVID thing playing out over, like, over the next year? Um, and, and so I guess there's kind of two things there. So do you see it again? I'm uh, sorry, I'm formulating this question on the fly, but it's just like this general idea I've been thinking about for the last couple of weeks. Do you see it intensifying and getting more and more heated or do you see it becoming like more of a thing where, you know, I think that there's a chance where people that are wearing masks are going to be the ones who are uncomfortable in certain settings because they're going to be the minority. Like, so I went to church this morning and there's a few people wearing masks, but like no one else is. And one of them was like a kid who was like eight. And so also I have this whole other part of my mind where it's like, how many more kids who are like four, five, six that are wearing masks can I see before I start to be a Karen and call out the parents and say, hey, you're abusing your kids, just so you know, like, you know, I don't, because it's getting harder and harder to not do that. But anyway, like, my question is, do you think it's going to get worse? Do you think we're, it's going to get more tense or less tense? Do you think people are going to get like more and more people are going to be over it or they're going to be just slip right back into that compliance thing. Um, and then going forward, where, why I say a year out is like, how do you see this impacting um, the 2022 um, midterm elections, if at all? Uh, and we, and you don't even have to include the elections part because I honestly right. don't think that's as important as the societal stuff. Yeah. Um, but just where do you see COVID going in the U S right now? Oh, oh, let me, I'm going to add one more thing to it. I'm going to add one more thing to it. So okay. add this other to make way. it more complex. Thank you. Make Kira. it more complex. I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I asked one of these questions to Benjamin voice and I finally, and at the end I was like, I just realized I dumped like 46 tons of crap on you. And I don't know, there's not even a question in there. So I'm sorry, but do the best you can. Um, but so not just societally, but think about the economy, you know, a- anecdotally, but this is the same things that I used to, I mean, I don't know if you saw the article I wrote last May of 2020, where there was these big job numbers that came out and everyone was surprised. And I wrote this article, I was like, this isn't surprising at all. Here's like 15 things that I saw that told me that the economy was doing well. Um, so here's stuff that's in the opposite direction where I'm seeing multiple businesses um, some small independent businesses, others, including like Walmart, where certain departments are limiting their hours or like there is a few restaurants where they are c- closed. We're like, we can't get kitchen staff 
everywhere has a now hiring sign. Um, and so, but this place is like, we were closed on Mondays. Now we're going to be closed on Tuesdays as well until we can get enough kitchen staff. The Walmart tire center uh, had a thing that was like, we're no longer open from seven to seven. Now it's nine to six. Um, and so that's cutting their hours by three every day. Um, and so I'm seeing, I'm seeing this on a, there is a coffee place mm -hmm. on this other restaurant, like where places are, they can't get help. And so their, their hours are being limited. And especially for small businesses that limits how much money they're making, which makes it harder for them to hire. So it becomes this cyclical thing that can drive us more and more into some kind of stagnation because of these. And this is where I get so pissed off is this is where I'm saying, like, we have this shitty economy right now because a bunch of Democrats wanted to feel good about themselves. And so they voted in this administration that just sent inflation through the roof. Look at gas prices. Look at all this stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. Okay. Trump had the pandemic for quite a while and it wasn't like this. Like, do not give me this shit that this is some lag behind. No, this is pure Democrat policy, pure and simple. Like, I'm sorry it is. Um, just so they could feel good about themselves because they're embarrassed by Trump. It's like, eat shit, go somewhere else. I, I can't stand this. Anyway, sorry, I can, I'm can. i really mad. That's I okay. can go on and think about that. But so, so that's an economic thing that I'm starting to worry about that I'm seeing there. Um, so, and, and whenever the economy gets hard, that's where you see people are more on edge. You see people lose hope. They're more likely to be radicalized or more likely to be violent. Um, so yeah, I guess just where do you see COVID going like over the next year? Like, where do you see it going societally? Like, do you think people are going to be over it or do you think it's going to get worse? Um, or do you think both, like as people get over it, the authoritarians are going to be even worse to try and grasp for power. I mean, just what do yeah. you think, man? So, so, okay. There's a lot, there's a lot there to I know. unpack. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was thinking when you were talking about the, the economy stuff is, um, you know, at this art thing this weekend, it was two, I had to drive, um, two hours North from where I live up into the white mountains, which is basically like the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire. And there was cool. one gas station near the, 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 so I, we were staying in a hotel that basically looked like it was out of the shining, which was pretty awesome. It was a great hotel but there's like one gas station near the hotel and so pull into the gas station to to you know get some snacks and things and you know we see on the so on the door you know we're so sorry we're short-staffed right now please submit an application to come work mm. here and and the same thing in the hotel itself it was like you know like we we went out to lunch um just at one of the restaurants and again in a very very nice swanky hotel and they were completely short-staffed and couldn't even handle half of the dining room that they had. And the service was terrible and the food was terrible because of it. And it was like, in, um, you know, but, but really the thing that I was thinking about most when you were talking about that is... Um, so the, at this big event, they were doing dinners every night. And so they had like the, the hotel wait staff come in. And there was one guy that was wearing a mask. No one else was. There was one guy on the hotel wait staff that was wearing a mask. And he was a younger guy and he was very skinny. And I turned to Victor one night and I said, do you think he's wearing that mask because the hotel is making him because he refused to get vaccinated? Or do you think he's wearing that mask because he's Antifa and he is genuinely afraid of this virus? I mean, maybe you don't need to be Antifa to be genuinely Say, I don't know if Antifa. <laughs> But it was like he had that leap. look. Of, he had that look about him, like he had the dark hair, and he was like, you know, very skinny and kind of a little unkempt. And I was like, do you think he's doing this voluntarily or he's being forced? And the answer that I came to is, I bet he's doing it voluntarily because he is genuinely scared and has mm -hmm. brought, bought into the propaganda of this oh, virus. Yeah. And the hotel just gave them the option, and he kept wearing the mask because it's what he was comfortable in. And I think that 
you know, for me, one of the things that I've talked about, and I've, I've been talking about this since the beginning with the mask issue, was that I, I have always been worried about the psychological ramifications on society of having people run around with something covering the thing that they use to express themselves and mm -hmm. what that means and, and what it means not only for them speaking up and voicing their opinion, but also how that reflects in their own self-worth because the amount that we express ourselves from just like a psychological standpoint, the amount that we're willing to share our opinion in the world is directly related to our self-worth, how much we mm. think our opinion is valuable. And so if you have a society that is wearing something over their mouth for you know, full year and a half at this point, they're going to be much less inclined to express themselves. And this is actually something that, you know, I got to strike on my YouTube channel for even talking about this because there are, there are papers coming out in peer reviewed journals and are talking about this exact same impact. And so I think for me, one of the biggest impacts of COVID on our society and everything that happened in relation to it is honestly just on, on, on the psyche more than anything yeah. else. And I think that everything else is going to stem from that. Like, you know, we have taught people over the last year and a half that, you know, you don't, you, you don't really need to get a job. I mean, the, yeah. the, the reason that these places can't hire people is not because there are not workers available. Of course there are workers available, but they don't need to work right now or they're scared to work or they have, you know, or, or this, that, and the other, um, or maybe they don't feel like they can even go out and apply for a job. I mean, I know, like I, I talk to people every single day who seem to be convinced that there are no jobs available. I'm like, what are you talking about? There are jobs like available everywhere. It might not be the exact job you want right this second, but that doesn't mean there are not jobs available. Um, so I think that there's that. I think we're going to have a lot of self-worth issues. And I think that those self-worth issues are going to translate into how people exist in the world, right? But I also think there are absolutely going to be like economic impacts with, with businesses, just like you said, if they can't, if they can't um, get people on staff to work certain hours, of course, they're going to make less money. And that's going to lead to people being disgruntled and cranky and, you know, scared. And one of our primary drivers of, um, of our experience is, on, like, is, is our survival mechanism. Do we have yep. the ability to put food in our mouth and to have a roof over our head? And if you do not have the ability to put food in your mouth and have a roof over your head, you are going to be behaving in really unhinged ways because all of your energy and attention is going to be directed towards what do I need to do to put food in my mouth and, and put a roof over my head right um I, I mean I think short term I don't think it looks good I think I think things are going to get a lot worse before they get better and I do not have high faith in the 2022 election in terms of fixing the problem because we need to add another factor in which is the Republicans are absolutely going to shoot themselves in the foot yeah. They're absolutely, I mean, we had Jenna, Ella, and, and I actually felt a little, Truman, I have to tell you, I felt a little vindicated, because you know that I like nothing more than like re reading the Republicans, the riot act, about how much they suck, because they sure. suck really, really, really badly, and I do I've it out you of, say this, I, I, I <laughs> once or twice, <laughs> yeah, once or twice, yeah, well, you know, I do it out of love, because I feel like I can see the potential of what they could be, and then they just keep sure. screwing, it's like, it's like, it's like a parent to a child, and I, I don't mean to put myself in like, it sounds a little more condescending than I, than I wanted, I know to. what you mean, but it's like, it's like, what are you doing? It's like, it's like when you give someone a good slap upside the head, you're like, what are you doing? Like, cut it out. <laughs> like, we saw what they could be not that long ago. We saw what they could be under we, Trump. Not that we long ago. saw so clearly what they could be. And then they just deviated yeah. from it entirely. And it's yeah. like, I have absolute faith that the Republicans and the, the RNC are going to self-sabotage in this election. And we saw that with Jenna Ellis leaving the party 
last week and basically saying you all need to get your shit together <laughs> like yeah. i'm not going to be part of this party um and i think we see this over and over and over again and um you know so we'll see what happens but I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of faith that 2022 is going to make a big difference. I would actually rather the Republicans learn a little bit more of a lesson and lose in 2022 than they lose in 2024. I want them yep. to win the White House back, like well, cross to. their fingers it, as long yep. as they have a good candidate. And, you know, to be honest, now <clears throat> I'm kind of terrified because Rick Grinnell came out and said just the other day that he talked to Trump and it sounds like Trump's running. And Rick Grinnell's not going to say that publicly if Trump isn't running. I'm sorry, Rick Grinnell is not like a rookie, right? He's putting information out there that he wants people to have. And so I- Probably because that straw poll at, um, what was it? What was the- CPAC. CPAC, yeah. Might have well, been the thing. Maybe, but it's also like, I don't, you know, I really go back and forth on this. And, and you know, my like, I think that Trump running again would be the most entertaining thing that's ever happened, ever. Do I think that he's the best choice? No, not by any means. And especially if Ron DeSantis is in the game, I think Ron DeSantis is a much, much, much better choice than Trump. But I don't then, think he's going to run. I don't no? think DeSantis will run. Why not? Well, not if Trump does. I think I think if Trump runs, exactly. DeSantis will defer, and then he'll go. he'll end up being like Trump's VP or something like that. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I mean. Well, you know, it's funny. You're talking about them shooting themselves in the foot. So Dave Rubin just interviewed Kevin McCarthy the other day, the House Minority Leader. And uh, Rubin asked him, uh, what, how do you plan on winning uh, back the House in 2022? And Kevin McCarthy said, by doing exactly what we did in 2020. Oh, and, he, and he started to lay out an explanation. I'm like, like you fucking lost in 2020, man. Like, what are you talking Dude. about? Um, and so – it's like that to me, you know, and I think Kevin McCarthy isn't like, you know, I think he gets it in a lot of ways. Like he still supports Trump, I think. Um, but as long as like there's that kind of attitude and maybe, you know, that's just a politician saying what they have to say. I wouldn't expect a super deep answer, you know, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, so I've really had to because it, it feels crazy um, and I, and I have to question my own sanity whenever I have this thought. Um, and I, you know, the jury's still out on that, but I mm -hmm. think that if Trump did run in 2024, not only would I want him to win, I would like urgently want him to win. I think if it's the same Trump as that we just had, assuming he doesn't come back with some kind of batshit, you know, vindictive mm -hmm. thing, um, because the more I think about it and the more I just look at the contrast we're experiencing right now compared to what we have for the last four years. I mean, we just said it, right? We saw what they could be. We saw what it could be. We saw like the power of, the, of this populist movement to bring people together, to have this big tent conservatism that says, we don't care what skin color you are. We don't care if you're gay or straight or whatever. Um, we just care about these values, you know, and this kind of general philosophy of governance. Um, and so like that type of Republican party that can have Blair White and Richard Grinnell mm -hmm. and, you know, former lefties like you and I, um, and Peter Thiel and, you know, whatever, like just go down the list. Um, that's, that's better than the alternative, man. You know, I think that it would show that this thing wasn't, I think the other thing that would happen there, and I know we're like getting off on like a 
what if, you know, hypothetical Trump scenario, but there's probably some utility there. Um, I think that the, the establishment Republicans need to learn good and hard that Trump was not a fluke, that MAGA was not a mm-hmm. fluke. It wasn't just a one-off. They have to contend with those issues um, and contend with that demographic. And that, and that that demographic includes people like you and I who say, you are not guaranteed our vote. Mm-hmm. You have to take this seriously. We're not going to be catered to. We left the party that just did the surface level catering to us, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to accept that. Um, and so I think that in order for, I mean, you said they need to learn a lesson. I think that's the lesson that is the most important lesson for them to learn. I agree. Um, is to take that seriously. Um, not to say it's perfect, okay? I get that, but nothing's perfect, okay? So that's a, that's a meaningless caveat. Um, but that that is the most important lesson is mm-hmm. fight. And, you know, like what we talked about last time is it's like they make this mistake of thinking that if they – are nice or say certain things, the media will be nice to them and won't call them Nazis and racists. It's like, nope, they absolutely will. They don't care. So you need to learn this lesson. They are not your friend. The media is not your friend. Chris Wallace isn't your friend. Okay. You're don't, don't worry about them. Worry about the voters. Worry about the people who are showing up to these rallies. Worry about the people who are showing up, you know, in Washington like you were on January 6th, where it's like, I'm just here to support this president. Um, worry about those people. And I say that as a, these are the people who, these are the real constituents. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's like, that's the lesson I think they need to learn. Um, and I think if it means Trump coming, coming back, like, I, look, at, look at the governance. Look at the contrast. Oh, I Contrast know. U.S. two years ago, due July 2019, compared to to today look at the economy look at where we were at with china look at where we we're at with the soviet union like it wasn't perfect trump did not do a good job of handling like the the riots or the protests in hong kong for example mm-hmm. um but it's like by and large i mean it's it's such a night and day difference that to me i just we got to get back to that whatever whatever it takes because this is this is death man the way we're going this is we're we're dead if we go down this road of governance if we don't rip each other apart these fucking democrats will just do it just by their shitty governance yeah you know so you know what i mean i mean i don't i don't disagree i do want to offer one clarification and that the main reason i went to dc on january 6th was to see what was going to happen for myself so the media couldn't as soon lie as to I me said that, <laughs> i know as soon as i said that okay. i'm like because whenever you and I are talking about it, we know that we're just talking about yeah. We're 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 talking about January sixth in reality, not, not this not, unarmed you know insurrection you know media farce. Not in crazy. So that's what I mean. I'm talking yeah. about the reality of it. Yeah. No, 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 totally, totally. And I and I and I know I know what you mean. But no, I mean I I agree with you. I think that the you know things were largely good under Trump. I mean there there are absolutely things that he did that I do not agree with that I do not think he handled well. And to be frank, it, it's kind of a miracle that things were good under him because the the my understanding of the internal like order and the staffing in the white house was that it was not good it was like a shit show pure chaos pure chaos no one knowing what they were doing like not coordinating stuff not like it, it, it so i mean the fact that they were able to achieve what they did was in and of itself a miracle um, and I do think, um, you know, if you, on, on the whole, I do think that it was a positive, 
administration. I do think it was a positive um, presidency. And I, and I wouldn't necessarily be upset if Trump got elected again. I think that Trump would, Trump probably learned a lot in the first term. And I think that he could yeah. do a lot better the second time having a more robust understanding of what he's up against. I mean, and let's be honest too, like the greatest gift of the Trump presidency is he opened all of our eyes to what is mm. actually going on. And and so, yeah. I mean, and That's can you imagine point. even being in his shoes and having, I'm, I'm sure there were so many things that he stumbled upon that he didn't even expect were as yep. bad as he thought they were. Maybe he thought they were bad going in, but then he actually got to see it. It's like, oh my God, like, yep. what am I even doing? And so I do think that there, I wouldn't be upset if Trump got elected. I just think like, it's one of those things where I just don't know that it's the best idea, but if it's not- I don't Trump, think it'll happen. I don't oh, think I don't think it'll happen. happen. It's worth. But like, I, I, like, if it's not Trump and it's not DeSantis- then I don't know anyone else. I mean, maybe like, I don't know anyone else that I consider to be a reasonable candidate that I think could actually get the nomination. Like if someone like a Rand Paul got nominated, I'd be psyched. Like Ted that, Cruz wouldn't be bad either, to be honest. But I, I don't think you know, he'd get it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that I would be. Hmm. I think Ted Cruz is doing more than most. So I do have to give Ted Cruz props. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind Ted Cruz as much. Um, so, I mean, they've got some options, but again, like I just go back to the fact that I absolutely believe that the GOP is going to shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, that comment by Kevin McCarthy, like yep. to say, you know, we're going to do what we did in 2020. Well, guess what? In my congressional district, You've they ran lost. A, they, they <laughs> lost. They ran a guy in my congressional district named Matt Mowers, who had Trump's blessing, was like the, 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 um, like one of Rick Grinnell's favorite people that he promoted all the time. And he lost by eight flipping points. And he lost by eight points yeah. with Trump on the ballot. And so what is the New Hampshire GOP going to do? They're going to nominate him again because of course they are, because they cannot, they, they just don't learn lessons from the first time. Yeah. And there, there are reasonable candidates that are coming around that are, um, you know, starting to campaign against him. And, you know, there are a couple that might give him a run for his money in the primary, but it's like the New Hampshire GOP is going to rig this. I know that they are maybe not rigging yeah. in the way that the democratic party would, know but you, you, you know what I'm saying? There's kingmakers. Like, yeah. There's, there's king, there's absolute kingmakers. And I will tell you that they did not learn their lesson from this guy losing the first time. And it's like, do, do you want to lose? Like, is this what we're playing in? And it's just so frustrating. It's so yep. frustrating to watch it when I feel like, I feel like people like you and I just have a different perspective on this where we can, we can, again, like just going back to like, we, we saw what it could be. We yep. saw the potential and the potential was so good. And now even like on Twitter today and Twitter is not real life. We have to acknowledge that, but I, mean, I think it is. <laughs> I think it, no, no, I think no. it could be Twitter is terraforming forward. reality. Twitter is terraforming reality. That may yeah. be, but I mean, in not, not even just today, but for several months, there's been this debate on the right on Twitter about who should be allowed on the right. Well, I'm sorry, you just spent the entire 2020 election telling us that the right was a big tent that welcomed everyone. And now yeah. we're having an ongoing six, seven month debate about who is allowed to be on the right. This is exactly it's, the reason that I only lasted like a month and a half a in the fringe, Republican party. <laughs> I don't I think, think it's it is. A fringe, I think it's a fringe group that's doing that. Like, I don't think it is. Well, well, cause if you look at the, look at the thought leaders of the right, even people that you and I maybe wouldn't mm -hmm. like that much. Okay. Ben Shapiro is not having that conversation. Dan Crenshaw is not having that conversation. Christy Nome is not having that conversation. Ted Cruz is not having that conversation. 
Uh, Ron DeSantis is not having that conversation. And so like there, there are some fringe people that, you know, like a Nick Fuentes, you know, Nick Fuentes has like a hundred thousand followers or he did before his Twitter account got blocked. Like there's always going to be some group of people that suck, you know, but I just don't think that that's the mainstream conversation. I, 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 I just don't. I don't maybe think that it is the the norm yet, but I do think what we're seeing, and I started identifying this trend from right directly after the 2016 election, and it's only gotten bigger um, the more I've been paying attention to it, is I think that we are going to see, because, okay, because there is a lack of leadership on the right right now. Like sure. Trump is really not out there all that much. I mean, he's doing some stuff, he's making some speeches, but he's not saying anything differently than what he's been saying for months. And I would argue that he's not really providing real leadership in a genuine way. They're not getting leadership from the RNC. I think that we are going to see a what rise- What would that look like? For someone what, to take charge- so let's. I think it would take someone- to, to, So Trump is going back to doing rallies. Yeah. So no, so I'm. this is a genuine question. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I have a, a, an answer, but I think- Yeah. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think this That's is an okay. important distinction to make that or to, to at least try to define or, or come up with a concept. Like, what would it look like? What does leadership from the right look like? Like, let's say Trump, like, let's say he was do, doing it. He's banned on Twitter. He's mm-hmm. banned on Facebook. No news outlet will have him. And But he's doing interviews with people like Dave Rubin and stuff. He's going to CPAC, but anything of him gets censored so i by the way i'm not saying that he is leading i'm just saying would we even know it if he was trying i think we would i think we would trump puts out press releases all the time that then get screen capped and shared on twitter and shared out there but i mean your point is well taken it's like does he even have the capacity to lead but he what, what what trump very could easily do is nominate someone to act in his stead right like he could put rick grinnell out and have him be like front and center he could put I don't know, any of his other underlings out there to have them be like the spokesperson for this thing. But what real leadership would look like, I'm sorry, if there was real leadership in the Republican Party, Ronna McDaniel would not be the chair of the RNC. I'm Fair sorry, enough. like, like the, the, and, and by the way, Trump endorsed her. So yeah, I like, he endorsed a lot of people. I think that he, dude, he was an outsider to the Republican Party. I think we have to give him some credit to where he was a Democrat. He came in and the people... We're like, these are who you who you trust. Mm-hmm. And he had the he was drinking from a fire hose for a long time in terms of like trying to figure out what was what. And I think that's one of the reasons there was so much chaos mm-hmm. is that you just don't know. And so you, you, you just know these are the people you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, but but point taken, I'm just saying I don't know. I mean, like, so for, did you see his op ed that he wrote about getting critical race theory out of schools? Well, you know, why I don't believe him because he's basically endorsed Chris Sununu. I don't believe a word Trump says on critical race theory. Well, I think he probably doesn't have a good understanding of what I, I just I I'm willing to give the benefit mm. of the doubt in that case, because like what makes more sense that Trump did the 1776, you know, curriculum. He gave multiple speeches about it. He issues executive orders. He writes an op ed, you know, post presidency about how they need to get this out of schools but he secretly likes it, and oh, I don't think he's secret- well acquainted with no, 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 no. Saw- well acquainted with what Chris Sununu is doing. Okay, let's take that last part back. He's yeah. very well acquainted that Chris Sununu supports it, and he endorsed him. Or he only has so many hours in a day to know what's going on, and he got a few bullet points on Chris Sununu and s- some certain policies, 
and he endorsed him over that. I well, just I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one personally. But but I mean to me that though that says that he's not really like if you're endorsing a candidate and you do not know that that candidate yeah, completely fair. undercut the Republican Party in his own state, like that's I'm fair. sorry, that's a problem. But no, um, you're right. You're and, right. I, and I don't think Trump supports critical race theory. Of course, I think Trump is opposed to critical race theory. But this again, this goes back to the larger issue of the Republican Party shooting themselves in the foot time and time yeah. and time again for no good reason for no good reason. And um, I don't even know where we were going with this. Well, so, so go, go back. you <laughs> like, were talking okay, about what does leadership. Look like? le- yes. Yes. Yeah. Cause I think that's an important thing for us to figure out what does, cause if we can figure out what it is, then we'll know when they, when they have it or what it kind of looks like, because I agree yeah. with you that they don't have any leadership. Right. So, I agree with you that there is a vacuum, but I don't know th- what the capacity is for a leader okay. to come about because of the news media. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to explain why I think there is not a current leader that is acceptable in the Republican party. And I think I'm also going to explain why I think that means that there's going to be a rise of very bad people controlling the right. There needs to be a proactive vision for what the Republicans stand for. What do they want to do? Hmm. What policies do they support? Why should people support them instead of oppose the other guy? What types of how in what ways are they going to help people? What is their vision for the reality of America in in you know 2028, assuming that we elect them to the presidency in 2024 and maybe give them the house or something in 2022? What is the vision that we are shooting for? That does not exist. It does Mm. not exist at all. But you know where it does exist? In this moral majority, Christian conservative part two thing that is rising on the right right now that I started seeing this on, like, I don't, I don't call out trends until I see them in person, right? I don't call out trends based on what I see people talking about on Twitter. I don't call out trends based on what I see the news media talking about. I will only call something out when I actually see it in person for myself at an event in the real world, something like that. I started right after the election, started seeing the Nick Fuentes types um, gaining Mm. a lot of steam at in-person events. And that has only picked up steam as things have gone on. And then what I see the the kind of like, I'll call them normal conservatives, for lack of a better term, people who maybe aren't like buying into this whole like conservative, like America, not when I say American first, like Nick Fuentes agenda, that's different than Trump's America yeah. first thing. Right? Those are, those are, yeah, yeah, griper crap. Those are two completely different things. So what like I see these kind of like normal conservatives, they don't buy in to what Nick Fuentes and that ilk is doing, but they kind of look at it and they go, oh, they have some nice points. They're not that bad. We shouldn't denounce them just because they're talking like white nationalists. Like they, they're making Who are some, some good examples points. of people you've seen do that. Like I'm talking just, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about influencers. I'm talking about everyday people. Okay. And that to me is gotcha. actually much more impactful than like a blue check influencer. I'm talking about people totally, that totally. like, like, you know, I'll just have conversations with them at like CPAC or like another, like a rally or something where they go, well, they're not that bad. And I'm like, they are that bad. And they're like, well, no, no, they're just, they're just, you know, they're just, they're, you know, I don't agree with everything, but they make some good points. And it's like this, this inclination of normal conservatives to just defend everything that the bad actors in their party are doing by saying, oh, they make some good points and we need to keep an open mind and all this stuff that is going to directly lead to these bad actors gaining control of the of of the right in a way that I don't think they're going to be able to wrestle back from quickly. And they're doing it purely because Nick Fuentes, like him or hate him, he's providing a vision. 
he's providing a really concrete vision for what what they're moving towards and we when we've been seeing for months now conversation around that specific vision and like who should be allowed and what should be the values and and a more like socially conservative agenda that is frankly not going to appeal in any way shape or form to people like us who are not socially conservative yep yeah well i am socially conservative i just don't want it legislated so I, even, I agree <laughs> well, with you. My point uh, is, is we'll, that like we'll, we'll meet in the middle there. We we agree that it saying? should be legislated. Yeah, it's just like it's just like I want like I mean we had this talk with the conversation with the Caitlyn Jenner thing where I'm like elect Caitlyn Jenner. Like what the, this is don't fight losing battles. Don't these are stupid hills oh, to die on. Um, even if these are things I disagree with. And so my point is like yeah like they I do yes have an understanding of what you're talking about. I don't know if you saw the thing about there. I guess. You know, and, and part of it is like some of these things, Nick Fuentes is not someone in my personal experience. I've not met a single person who has in any way, shape or form validated anything that comes from the outright. I have not met like in person. I've had a few like Twitter comments or YouTube comments. Okay. But in person, and I mostly interact with conservatives um, in person because all my lefty friends abandoned me um, and, and blocked me. Uh, I, I have not, I don't know anyone. And I think part of that might be, and what's funny is that I do largely run in, at least not, not run in, um, but am around in person, like Christian conservatives. Um, but they, they do not, I've not heard anyone say anything that even remotely validates any of that crazy alt-right Groyper stuff. Um, but I do under, I do see what you're saying in terms of there does seem to be that kind of return to the more, um, like you said, socially conservative Christian thing. And I think the problem is, and you can give me your thoughts on this because this is an example of it that I think might be a gray area um, where it's like, okay, I can kind of understand where they're coming from. So did you see about how there was that porn star who was invited to CPAC, um, Florida porn star who was invited to CPAC. And um, then there, there is a bunch of people who were like, well, there's going to be minors at this event. And like the fact that there is like these specific thing, like events with this porn star, it's like how many, you know, parents who would have maybe been cool bringing their like 16, 17 year old, you know, conservative kids to CPAC are now going, okay, but I don't want, you know, there's, if they're going to have some event with a porn star, it's like, that's one of those things where I see both sides of that, I guess, where it's like, Mm -hmm. I can see the perspective of a parent who's always went to CPAC before and just heard like normal traditional conservative stuff and now if they're going to have like a, a porn star who they're you know their twitter is like naughty america you know and stuff it's like i can see where that's like what are you doing you know i don't really mm-hmm. see how that what that's trying to appeal to um but at the same time there is overreach there that that can happen so if that's a, that might be a, a situation that i do agree with them at least i can see where they're coming from and say well if you're going to do that you should maybe have that person have their own thing over here, not be on the stage where it's separate from where the minors might be. You know, there's probably a way to, to do that, you know? Um, but then you get into like those two wackos that you talked to um, several mm-hmm. months ago who were talking about how there shouldn't be gay people and stuff I mean, now. But again, I think that's a fringe. I think that's a fringe but I mean, to your point is it might not be fringe for that much longer if they're, if that's the only opinion that's being put forth. 
Um, so I, yeah, I can see awesome. where you're coming from on that. I, you know, I, it's, it should be ignored, I guess. Could I at least say this? Mm-hmm. I, even if I think it's fringe, it probably shouldn't be ignored and well, it should probably be taken seriously, you know, as a threat. Here, here's one of the things like, so in my, in my former life, I taught a workshop actually called the leadership workshop in which I went through kind of like the three stages of leadership when you're trying to get um, like a project going in your work environment or what have you, like here, here are the things you need to do to successfully manage a project or do change management or any of those things in businesses. The number one thing you need to do is build a vision for what mm-hmm. you want to achieve. That's the very first thing. If you do not build that vision, you ain't getting anything accomplished. The problem is that on the right right now, the only people that are offering a vision for what they want to achieve are really bad actors. And so in an absence of any other vision, because the Republican Party seems to downright refuse to develop a vision, here's what they always say to me. They're like, Carlin, we just want to pull the government out of things. All right. Well, that's called being a libertarian. Yeah. Like, yeah. like what, like, how does that work in practice? What does that mean? What bills do you want to introduce? What, what are your priorities? You know? So, so I, I, I really like this. I like where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, could we make a distinction between, so whenever you say that the only people on the right putting forth the vision are bad actors, could we say it's, there are some of them bad actors, but others of them are just naive and outdated and, like, I think that there are like Christians, like I think someone like a, like a Lauren Chen, you know, roaming millennial, yeah. um, Ali best Stucky, I would put like, those are good actors. Those are people who I trust, who I know yes. are well-intentioned um, and might have that same vision that we're talking about in terms of the, the, cons- the um, social stuff, not the all right, uh, like Lauren Chen, not right. all right. Neither is Ali no, best no, 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 I don't think that they are, I, I have nothing but. I trust what they, at least their intentions. I don't think they're, they're poorly motivated at all. I agree. Um, th- does that make sense? So could we yes. at least say that that's, it's bad actors and that there's also some people who are probably just naive, you know, and aren't really well, thinking long-term like winning strategy here. Well, is I mean, I, yeah, it is. And I think, you know, this is an important point in that I'm not suggesting that all Christians are bad actors or that all right. Christians are part of this movement. That is not what I'm, I'm that is not what I'm trying to infer at all. And I, I do yeah, agree with I you. I, I think that Lauren Chen and Ali Beth uh, Stucky do a great job. And actually Ali Beth, she did a show the other day in which she directly called out the rise of white identitarianism mm. at the end of it. And I was like, yes, Good. No, yes, he's great because those these are the things that need to be called out. So no, I do think there's a distinction, and I don't even know that I would say they're naive. I think I think the you know the distinction I would make is the people that I see actually setting the vision are bad actors, but they're a small percent at the top, right? It's just like it's just like the woke left, right? There are malicious people <clears throat> at the very top on the woke left that are that are proactively setting the agenda that is specifically designed to destabilize our society. And then there's a lot of people that are implementing that agenda, either because they're coming from a place of naivete, ignorance, whatever it is, they think it's what they need to do to be good people. It's exactly the same thing on the right. I think there are a very small percentage of really bad actors that are sadly setting are the only ones that are currently setting setting a proactive vision for what the political mm. right is in this country. And I think there are a lot of people that are kind of following along to that and saying, all right, we might go along with this just because it's frankly the only vision that's being set because the RNC, the GOP, Trump, 
whoever you want to put in that role seems to have completely abdicated any responsibility in this area. Yeah, I think so. The only thing I would add to that is that I would make, I would make a distinction between the people because how many people let's, let's take a straw poll Mm. of people that voted Republican in 2020 and of those people, how many of them know what a groiper is? Or how many of them know who Nick Fuentes is? I bet you less than 20%. Okay. How and, many people know who Ibram X. Kendi is? Right. Well, uh, I, more than that, just because of the news. Mm. But 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 here, here's, here's where I'm going with this, okay? Is that I would make a distinction between, and, and I'm saying these are two groups, right? I'm not saying that the group you're describing doesn't exist. They probably do. Um, but- it seems to me that the majority of conservatives right now are kind of like my friend who texted me, who they're kind of in a holding pattern, who they don't, they're just like going back to living their lives because they don't know what else to do. And I think conservatives do this thing where it's like, um, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but like, you know, the, the love languages, the five love languages. Mm-hmm, I do. Yeah. Um, and so like part of the love languages is that you receive, like you interpret love in the way that you most feel loved and you give love in the way that you most feel loved. And so like my wife, she might, so one of her love languages might be quality time. And, you know, so she might spend a bunch of time like with me and she's thinking, she's saying, I love you. And me, I'm like, yeah, we're just hanging out. You know, I don't receive it as that. And so I think people are, are prone to treat other people within the same value structure that they themselves hold to and, and how they, their likes and dislikes. Mm-hmm. And so my point is, is that I think most conservatives, since they just want to be left alone, are prone to er- during times like this to just checking out because that's what they want. Like, they're like, I just want to be left alone. So I'm going to check out and go back to living my life because that's just the the thing that I want anyway. That's the way that I am. And I'm, I assume that that's, the way things are. And that's the way, and I think that's one of the reasons why conservatives often don't do stuff is because they're like, well, if I just want to be left alone, then I'm going to default to inaction over action because I don't want to bother other people. And, you know, because I don't want them to bother me. And so my point is, is that I think that whatever the reason is, the right is clearly directionless, whether you have a whole bunch of them that are just in a holding pattern uh, a bunch of them that are just watching Fox News and I think that we're just in the next part of the culture war. Some of them that are being radicalized um, or and some of them that are watching some be radicalized and and maybe just kind of nodding along and thinking it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Whatever the, you know, that pie chart looks like, you know, there are very, it's a very small sliver that is like action oriented towards something good, you know, and I think that's the main point here. And the picture that just came to my mind as you were describing that, is we have this group, and I think it is safe to say um, that we have this group on the left and on the right, on the fringe, that is um, probably getting a little bigger. I think the one on the left is bigger than the one on the right, and I think the one on the left has a bigger microphone, but I think the one on the right is going to slowly catch up, especially as the right loses more and more elections. Um, and as this, they more and more of them, regular people are told they're racist pieces of shit. Um, for the color of their skin like yeah that's going to happen people are going to get are going to get radicalized Brett Weinstein brought this up um, 
I think three years ago where he, I remember I, yeah, oh. it was three years ago. Cause it was in the summer and he was like, cause he was talking about Portland and he's like, they're going to create the monster that they claim to be fighting. Oh, yeah. um, and so, but my question to you is, so I had this picture of like, you have this fringe that's like slowly growing. So mm-hmm. if let's say we have think about like any movie where there's the, that the walls are coming in, right. And you have the people in the middle. Um, how long do you think, because one of the things we talked about earlier is like weird ass infighting on the right. Like, you know, you said people that are just distracted or just have these policy proposals that are just completely wacko and, and mm-hmm. missing the point. Um, how, mu- how much do you think it'll take for, because to me, that's a sign that the pressure isn't as high as it, as it could be. Like those things fall by the wayside whenever the things, whenever your back's against the wall and you know yeah. your back's against the wall. So how, how, how long, like how much do you think it'll take for and how big will these, these fringes get on the left and on the right before you see the people on the middle left and the people on the middle right and they're back and back and back and, and then they realize they're back to back and are like, okay, I guess we're in this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think, there, it's, I think there is more of an extremist edge on the right than people think. Um, you know, about a month ago, I kicked the hornet's nest of actual white identitarians. And so I've had a front row seat to seeing what they're doing. And I'm also working with um, journalists to try to like investigate this and figure it out. I think it has already grown a lot more than people think it has. I mean, listen, if you had asked me like, you know, six months ago, like, like, you know, what, what, like, what does the white identitarian movement look like in the United States? I would have said maybe a couple thousand people that are true believers and it's really not that big of a deal and something that we don't need to worry about. Um, I do not believe that now. I think it's, I think it is 10 times minimum, minimally 10 times larger than we think it is. Um, I think that it is growing extremely quickly. I've watched how they recruit people to it. I've seen how people react to it. Um, I've seen how the right inherently, like, because like what the right always does, right, is they just push back against the left. So whatever, the, mm-hmm. if the left says, if the left says ABC, the right says XYZ. And, yeah. and that's all that they do. And so when the left is a constant, like, especially with critical race theory gaining more and more prominence, what I'm seeing is a lot of people on the right push back against that just to push back against it and not thinking through the consequences of their actions. And so mm. then they say, well, or we're the not- way that they're pushing back against yeah. it. Yeah. Or, and, and then they say, well, we're not the racist. I mean, like they're, the, that's not such a thing. We're just, we're just defending our white values. Like the things that the white identitarian movement is calling itself right now, it's called, they're calling it um, white well-being, white positivity. Mm-hmm. They're calling it white survival. Yep. There is a very large chunk of people who honestly and truly believe that there will be a white Holocaust any day now. Um, this is not, a, this is not a theory. And so, I think that it's a lot bigger than people think it is. And I think we're going to start seeing it more and more and more, but the problem is the media is not going to cover it. No. Well, no, the, yes. The media does cover it because they need to use it to, it, to, to paint, to smear all of the right. I don't think they are. I don't think they will. And the reason I say that is because when it pokes its head up, look at Charlottesville, man. Look at Charlottesville. How many people still think that Charlottesville? I understand, but I have directly reached out to the Washington Post with evidence of this, and they're ignoring it. I, I, I proactively, when I tried to get the right to cover this, and I could only get a few journalists to actually take this seriously and to start doing actual investigative journalism, I was like, screw it. Like, I don't care if the New York Times publishes this as long as someone sees it. Hmm. So I started reaching out. I was like, of course they're going to publish this. This is going to make the entire right look bad. This is like, this is like their, their, their heyday. This is 
is like what they live for. They're not covering it either. So that's actually really interesting and scary uh, and confusing, by the way. I'm sure that was confusing for you. It's confusing for me to hear that. Mm -hmm. Um, And and to your credit, by the way, um, whenever that was all happening, you're talking about, you know, kicking this hornet's nest. Um, So there was that. So here's just one example of of that that I saw firsthand where I'm like, yeah, this is, and, and I've gotten, whenever I did, uh, there's a few threads I've done on Twitter where I've got, I get a bunch of groupers, you know, replying mm-hmm. and it's like, whatever, you know? Um, so I can't remember what the name of that one shitbag channel was that did a video about you. you and know? we don't want to name them anyway. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but so here is the, here is the thing is that I went to that person's channel and they don't have very many subs, you know, and it's like, okay, whatever. 20,000 subs and is a lot of subs, given that we only think that this it, movement is, is a it, How much does people. the Flat Earth Society have? Well, you know, I mean, it's, so it's like, you know, I, to me, that doesn't, you know, it's like, okay. But, but here, here's the point. Um, that I watched, so that person had on, so I used to watch this uh, uh, conservative um podcast uh matt christensen are you familiar with him have you heard of matt christensen i know the name yeah he does really really great scripted videos about events um that are about maybe eight to 12 minutes long where he'll he'll has a script Mm -hmm. and he talks about things and he investigates things and they are extremely well done like matt christensen nails it whenever it comes to those things and he does a live stream with a co-host named blonde um who has her own youtube channel called blonde in the belly of the beast and uh, she used to li- she was a former lefty who lived in, I, I believe, Washington and then got married, moved to Utah. Mm-hmm. And they do a live stream on Wednesdays and Sundays. And I used to listen to them like, regularly, you know, and do, get, doing super chats and everything. And this is like maybe three or four years ago. And I started to hear Blonde start to say like because they would do these like hoax hate things or they would cover like hoax hate crimes, you know, and they would do a really good job of covering these things because no one else covers them. Right. Um. And I would hear blonde start to say stuff that I'm like, that feels like low key racist. And for whatever reason, I just, I stopped listening to Matt. It wasn't, and I'll still, I will still listen to some of his like scripted videos, but I stopped listening to live streams. Mm -hmm. Well, whenever I go to investigate that one shitbags channel, who had he had on earlier in the day from that Mm -hmm. day he made a video about you was blonde. And He's and Blonde's channel has 124,000 subs. Blonde in the belly of the beast. Um, I don't know how many Matt has. And by the way, I never heard Matt echo the same things as her, so I'm not saying Matt is in this category. I, I don't. I don't know that. I don't have any reason to think that. Um, but I listened to her interview with that guy, and it was absolutely a conversation about trying to create white communities. Yeah. Um, and about being in, uh, and they were using the same things like white well-being. And uh, she was talking about um, some city that she was in, you know, either in Idaho or something like that. And how there is a person there who was from, she said, Boston. And who had just moved there from Boston because it was getting, you know, too violent, too crazy or whatever. And, and Blonde was talking to this gal and the, the woman was like, um, well, you know, the only, the only thing about here is it's not very diverse and, you know, blonde was like, I wanted to be like, why, like you just moved from a place that was diverse and had all this crime. Like, what do you think, you know? And so it's like, 
they were having this conversation that they were, and here's the, here's the problem is they were saying things that I would say the, the premise. So this is something where it's like, you take a, a person on the a far left progressive radical who they'll say, um, I graduated college with all this debt. I can't get a job. I can't afford my rent. I don't have healthcare. Therefore capitalism sucks and we should have communism. Okay. Right. So they take a premise that is fundamentally right. And their conclusion is batshit crazy. So blonde said some things <laughs> that her premise was not wrong. She, she was like, she's like, you know, honestly, I had the realization that all white people are treated like mutts. If you're from any other country, you can have pride specific to your country. But you're, if you're white, you're just white. You're just a mutt. You can't have, say, have any type of like Irish pride or Ukrainian pride or Italian pride. I have pride, Irish like pride that. every St. Patrick's Day, I'll have you know. <laughs> I do too, but same. I do too, but the point is, is that it's not celebrated in our culture like to do that if someone wanted to do that. And yeah. she's like, I realized that all white people are just treated like these, this like white like kind of mutt thing where it's like, no, I have an actual heritage. I have an actual culture that I came from. And, and she's like, and the, that's something that I wanted to learn more about. And she's like, and I got to learn, okay, this is where most of my ancestors came from. And I visited that part of Europe and it was really cool. And like that, all of that stuff, I was like, that makes sense. Like I, I my family is on my mom's side is almost hundred percent Irish. My grandpa was first generation. He came, his parents came over here on a boat. And so we would go to these traditional Irish celebrations. I grew up with a lot of pride in my Irish heritage. Um, so like, that's fair enough. Right. But then the conversation takes this turn into how do we have like somehow trying to understand your heritage goes into, well, how do we have these white homo homogeneous communities? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, this is the turn here, right? Like you said some things. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I can see your perspective, but no part of me, because I, think my Irish heritage is interesting, makes me want to live in a community with no brown people, right? Like that's crazy, right? Right. And so, but my point is, is that what you're saying there about how like this is, it's not necessarily this overt Zig Heil kind of thing, but it's, it's not very thinly veiled either in terms of the racism that's there. And like, that that's just one example. And I'm sure that there are other examples like that of people that so blonde, like I said, 124,000 subs, that channel has grown since the last time I saw it, not by much. I think the last time I saw it a couple of years ago was 80,000. Um, but either way, you know, so that's just one thing. And so you're not wrong to identify that. Yeah, there is this threat there that is being ignored. And I think it's being ignored because of the same reason people ignore the threat on the left where they just don't think it's that big of a deal. But whenever I saw that, I was like, yeah, okay. How many more examples are there like this of, you know, uh, uh, content creators who might have 40, 50, 60,000, maybe more, maybe 124,000 followers um, that are starting to kind of go down this road of, wouldn't it just be easier if there were no minorities in our community? And, and Truman, you know? I'll tell you what, I don't know how much time you spend on Telegram, but if you, I, don't get on Telegram I, I rarely get on Telegram unless I absolutely have to. But the times that I have gotten on Telegram, I am seeing a lot of extreme people that have been banned in other areas, mm. congregating together, hundreds yeah, of uh, thousands yeah. of people in these groups talking about these concepts, talking about more extreme things than I can even say 
on a, it, 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 it's, yep. it's, it's heart-wrenching the conversations that yep. I've seen on Telegram. I yep. think this is a much bigger problem than people think it is. I, I, it is something that has genuinely like contributed to my extreme blackpilling at the moment because I, it's just maybe it's just sure. because I've been submerged in it for the last month, but it is genuinely upsetting to me and not surprising because again, well, be. this, this, this was yeah. com- well, I think this is like completely predictable that it happened. I mean, a lot like you know, Brett Weinstein's been saying this for years. I started saying this as soon as I realized because because again, it's like every every action has an equal and opposite reaction. That's just life. Yep. Life will always find a way to balance out. And so it is completely unsurprising that this has happened, but it's really upsetting. And what's the most upsetting thing to me is that it genuinely seems like no one cares. Yeah. And and that's one of those things where it's like, there's probably an aspect to where, so if someone told me, rank your top five biggest like fears right now what are the top five biggest things that you think are threats to the stability of america i probably wouldn't put white nationalists in the top five no i wouldn't and here and here's here's what and 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 the the other part of that is not now not now totally not now the other part of that is is that i think if we solve these other things like if we like the the crazy shit on the left that's what's radicalizing these people on the right yes and so I think it's like if we solve that or at least we get the fire hose on that to, ter- to cool that shit off and get those people out of the picture, then I think that you're not going to get, you know, because like you said, it's a reaction. And, and at the same time, there are people that are coming out of those movements too. I think it is growing, um, but there are people coming out of those movements. I read a book um, uh, maybe like four months ago that uh it was a christian book about a lot of the stuff um that's going on in the culture right now mm-hmm. and it included testimonies of people that had been brought out of the white nationalist movement um from being exposed to you know well not just christianity but like minorities and seeing that this stuff's evil mm-hmm. so i mean we don't know what the churn is i think we also can look at those youtube numbers and say we don't know how many of those are american right mm-hmm. like we do know that there is a, a that the, the white nationalist movement is much stronger in Europe right now because of what's going on with the immigration crisis in places like Sweden and Germany and France. Um, and Fair so yeah. it's like, we don't know that th- those are all Americans. And so I, I think that you're right to be concerned. And, and again, like I said, when I saw that with Blonde, I was listening to that, I was like, holy shit, man. Like, this is okay. Like, this is for real. Um, at the same time, I think that people, those people are not going to have an audience whenever we have significantly less people that are being told they're bad because they're white or that they're, they're, they have some type of collective racial guilt mm-hmm. for any bad thing that happened in America's past, even if they're like a recent immigrant, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 my point is, is that is a concern, but I think these other things that are the bigger threat we solve those then that other part's going to take care of itself because those people aren't going to have a thing to unite against it'll be like i agree it's kind of back to normal no i i agree i would not place it in the top five current threats to our society i just think it's like i mean like you said like if if, if it is dependent on us solving the top five or even the top three or maybe even the top one current threat to our society 
I just don't know if I have faith that we're going to be able to do it. Fair enough. <laughs> what do you think is the top one? If you were to say, if you were to distill down the number one thing that is, that is uh, responsible for all of this crap right now, what would you, what, what do you think it is? Woke culture, critical race theory however you want to define that. I think that, I think that that like woke culture, the far left agenda um, is the number one existential crisis that our country is facing. And it's simply because they've been working on it for so long. They have a 40, 50 year head start on us. And it's yeah. like, this is not something, you know, people seem to think that, that this can be rolled back just by banning critical race theory. One, that's not going to happen. Two, the laws are going to be ignored anyway. Three, this is about culture change. I, I think yeah. the number one threat that we're facing right now is the fact that we are we are in a cultural revolution right now yeah. and i always come back Co to this. color revolution right Col color yeah. revolution what they're yeah. called yeah they uh, create all this unrest yeah exactly and you know i i dm james Lindsay, you know several months ago and i said has any society come back from this once this has started like that you know of because can we just reverse engineer what happened and he said nope I was like, great. Thanks, James. <laughs> Good one, pep talk. One, one kind of did. One one kind of did. Which one? I think France after the French France after the French Revolution. Oh, that's interesting. They're not in a good spot You're now, right. but but France did not I mean they literally erected a shrine to the goddess of reason no, in the Notre right. Dame. You're right. And it was really bad. So I think that I mean I mean, they did execute the royal family. <laughs> yeah, <point>. so <laughs> they did. You could say that France did kind of come back. I mean, France, um, they're definitely not in the same place that they were in the, you know, late. So um, maybe that's something to look century. to because I don't know enough about France and like, you know, what happened leading up to the French Revolution and then what happened after it. I don't I just don't have any context for this. It's not something I've studied at all. It's the rubble. It's the ashes, man. It has to burn. The whole thing mm -hmm. burns and collapses, basically. It's not good. Um, okay. So so like so it is going to get worse before it gets better. 100 percent. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, look at look at a country like uh, like Ukraine right now was in the Soviet Union and now they're yeah, yeah oh yeah duh. <laughs> you know? right okay well, so, Ukrainian. <laughs> that's right yeah so I mean but look at Ukraine right now it's yeah. I mean it's it's, it's come a long good. way well it's, it's not, good, not good but good. it's good well, sure but I mean that's how much of that is their fault and how much of that is just residual damage no. from you know who's the guy who who's the is it Victor Victor Orban is that Ukraine or is that Hungary that might be Hungary I'm not Victor sure. Orban. Victor Orban's like this kind of right, like uh, people think he's alt-right. I don't know. I don't, I can't get a good read on him, mm -hmm. but he does say some things that are true. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where I don't know if the negative impressions I have from him are because I read about him in a New York Times article right. or if it's, that's how he genuinely is. So that's the other thing I hate is like, what if this guy is actually a Nazi? Yeah. You know, but the the left has made it to where if everyone's a Nazi, then then no one is right. So you just dismiss it whenever they actually do say those things. But anyway, my point is, is they can come back from it. But it's just there's a lot of collateral damage that has to occur. Um, and that's that is the is the problem is it's like I don't I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to be part of that, <laughs> a part of that collateral damage, man. Oh, yeah. Well, um, we're, gonna, we're the so first in the gulag. I think the number one threat. 
Oh yeah. Well, dude, I live, you live in a state with a lot of libertarians. I live in the mountains, man. I, We're I going to be we'll fine. Be, we'll be the, they won't get to us for a while. No. Yeah. Be okay. Um, I think the number one threat is universities personally. I mean, they're, I think they're the ones who are churning out this, this culture. Same thing. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like you're talking a, more practically. I'm talking more theoretically. You're talking totally. practically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're saying the same thing, just just different. I, I would say, but that's like the epicenter. I think that's patient zero. You know, I use the that kind of hive mind, like shimmer kind of thing. And I think the original shimmer was the universities. Mm-hmm. And then they spread out to cities. There's a guy, um, super interesting uh, thinker, his, his uh, locals, his Ides of Ideas. And I've had a couple of conversations with him. And one thing he pointed out, that has just been stuck in my mind ever since uh, we, we talked like maybe a couple months ago. And he said that um, whenever communities were first founded in the United States, they were founded with the church at the middle. Mm. And that that was meant to be like, this is the epicenter of the values of this community. And even as cities got bigger where they had like different districts, mm-hmm. they would put a church at the middle of those districts. Mm. And it was like, this is supposed to be the middle of, this is our kind of North star for the values that we're supposed to be about as a community. And he said, and then something changed where it started to be the universities right. that were at the middle of the cities that that was the North star of the values of these cities instead of the churches. And I was like, do you know how brilliant that is, man, in terms of just understanding the phenomena that has taken place and how these cities have been taken over by this, this thing about how it went from the universities to like the cities and then to everywhere else. I'm like, that is one of the best observations I think I've heard in the last couple of years. It, it really is. No, I, I agree. That's, <laughs> and that's, that's indicative of the problem, isn't it? Yeah. So we're, we're at about two hours here, man. What I gotta think? go, I gotta go do some stuff, but, um, but I think How we want to end it. Well, um, so we, I mean, I guess we have identified the problem. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's where we end for today. Is you know we've identified the problem. I Fair don't know. enough. Yeah, the, that's the problem. I mean, let's not let's not discount that. Like, like, no, no, no. I think you're right. You know, you kind of have to know what what it is you're dealing with in order to. I mean, well, and it's the problem is multifaceted, right? It's yeah. it's this ideology and people that are complacent to it. Right. Um, and hey, Truman, we're going to see each other this week, aren't we? We are. We are. That I'm. Ex- I'm excited for that. The thing in Tampa. We'll have to talk about that on the yeah, next one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, so for for those of you who are listening, thank you uh, for tuning in. Um, please follow Carlin at uh, Doctor Dr. K A R L Y S E N K O. Is it dot com? No. So okay. So R Y S E N K O. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so the best way to follow me is just like, yeah, Car- Carlin Borisenko, um, or go to my website, drcarlin.com. Um, and my locals community, obviously kb.locals.com. KB is a lot easier to remember. I was exactly. trying to do your Twitter handle first and I couldn't remember if it was at Carlin, but at Carlin is the, is your local. Well, it's like, one. it's like why I have to uh, shorten it to the smallest possible thing. No one know, like my first right. name and last name are equally problematic. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and for me, you guys can follow me on, uh, on Twitter at my mundane mind, return to reason.locals.com, return to reason on YouTube and think spot and all of those, those other places. Uh, and so, yeah, we appreciate you guys listening. Hopefully uh, this is at least entertaining uh, enough, yeah. enough for you. And thanks for coming along with us as we think about this stuff. So we'll see you next time. All right. Peace.